0: Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome to the Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. We are glad that you're with us today. I'm Rev. Dan Beckett, here with co-host Rev. Michelle Jellinch. Together, we share ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your recovery journey. Facebook
1: users, you can send us your questions and comments anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the send message button right below the banner. Each week on the show, we'll respond to a listener question or comment, and be assured that your anonymity will always be respected. So please let us know what's on your mind. We would love to hear from you.
0: Our title today is Into Action. When we take action in our lives, powerful and positive changes begin to happen. In fact, action is essential to addiction recovery and spiritual growth. In scripture, we read, quote, faith without works is dead. And many of us have experienced apathy and detachment when we don't, quote, move our feet on the recovery path. Uh, Today, we want to share our experience, strength and hope on learning how to take effective action in building a vibrant life.
1: So we'll begin today by sharing our experiences of what that apathy was like, and then we'll move into the solution of a take of taking effective action. After the break, we'll share exactly how we took effective action and how that helped us move from that apathy into a much more vibrant life. So, Dan, tell us about your experience of apathy. What what was that like?
0: You know, what comes to mind first is just this pattern. Uh, that I had of doing the same things over and over again, for whatever reason, uh, you know, m- one of my mantras in life seems to be, as far as I could tell, it seems to be, if one is good, two is better. Right? <laughs> is, that not the, is that like the perfect alcoholic m- life mantra? More is always better. Hey, yeah, if I felt good after one, I'll feel great if I have two.
1: And why do you need more? Because yeah. there is more. <laughs> yeah.
0: What do you? I don't understand. You were speaking English, but that question doesn't make sense to me. What do you mean? What do I need more? What, no. Yes. More. It's what it's all about, man. Um. So just you know, kind of doing the same things over and over. I'd I'd heard a, a saying that uh, this this rut that I'm in had once been a groove. You know, I can turn a groove into a rut by sticking with it too long. You know, far past. It's utility by hanging on to something that was fun, that was a good idea at one time and sort of trying to, you know, it seems like always wanting to recapture that good feeling that's related to it um, can become, uh, you know, a rut, just like a, a habit can become an addiction you know, right. over time. So that's what comes to mind first. Apathy, just kind of like a blah, you know, I don't care, whatever. I'll just keep doing the same thing I've always done. Now that's uh, much truer in the past right. than it is now, but it's not completely absent from my life now. It's just not a, you know, it's not a major issue. It's not It's not tied to, um, you know, a physical addiction or anything like that.
1: Yeah, so it sounds like you're talking a little bit about kind of that autopilot of like, this is just what I do, and so it's just what I do. And and you know, we've talked a lot on this show about how a lot of the things that we did in the past um, were, there was a reason for them. There, they were survival strategies, um, they were coping mechanisms, and they served their purpose at the time. But then we outgrew them, and so now we're trying to shed and change that which no longer serves us. But it, for me, it's helpful anyway to just say, well, there was a reason for this. You know, it's not like I just decided to be this because I'm just difficult and you know thick-headed. I mean, there these behavior patterns that you were talking about, they had a purpose, they served their purpose, God bless them and bless them on their way, you know, as we, uh, learn to release what no longer serves us. So, yeah, I understand that. Um, and, and I think also of a lack of awareness, you know, just kind of being generally not very self-aware, um, and and now you mentioned, you know, that it's not like it's totally gone. Some of these things still persist, but what there is now is an awareness, a much greater self-awareness. So um, I'm aware of things as patterns that need to be shifted rather than just doing them with no conscious awareness at all and just, you know, just functioning on that autopilot. So it's kind of awareness has been a real key for me in a lot of aspects of my spiritual growth and recovery. Um, Sometimes that's all there is, is the awareness. Sometimes things haven't really changed, but there's an awareness of them. And to me, that is the beginning of the change. Once we're aware of things is when we can effectively begin to change them. So I would say apathy is like a lack of awareness.
0: Yeah, right. Awareness always the first step in my experience in making any kind of change. If I'm not aware of something and and can't name it, you know, naming it uh, always seems to come in there pretty early on too. If I can become aware of something and if I can name it, well then maybe I have a chance at being able to shift it. So another way that uh, apathy shows up for me is um and this might be more of a result of apathy than apathy itself, but you know, it all begins to blend together. Yeah. Um lo- I, I remember just lots of energy going into just keeping everything afloat. Yes. You know, just like um, you know, we I have a certain standard like, you know, bills get paid on time or whatever it might be. So just, you know, making sure that at the bare minimum I'm not doing anything more than that trying to stay out of trouble, you know, and um keep all, all the all the balls in the air that we juggle in life. You know, we have complicated lives. We got a lot going on. And so lots of energy and just it feels like just keeping things afloat. And and I and I do believe that that is um kind of the result of not being more proactive with things because apathy, you know, maybe proactive would be a good opposite of uh, apathy and we'll talk about that a little bit later about what effective action looks like Um, but for me you know apathy resulted in everything just sort of barely over the line you know it's like I'm not gonna the the car needs an oil change I'm certainly not doing it the first day maybe not the first week you know eventually I will but you know it, it it might be a while
1: So you're talking to the person that hasn't done her taxes yet, and they're due tomorrow.
0: (laughs) So I have no idea what you're talking
1: about. So, you know, and as you were talking, I was thinking, okay, busted. So now I'm busting myself um, that, you know, there is definitely a pattern there of um, procrastinating, but it's not just procrastinating. It's kind of like uh, leaving things to the last minute, and then when they get down to the wire, there's this intensity and this kind of craziness, and I think I, you know, feed on that. I like that kind of, you know, we were talking before the show. I mean, sometimes we actually, I actually do my best work when things are down to the wire, when I'm when I'm pressured for time. But um, there's an addictive uh, aspect to that behavior, at least in my case, of, um, you know, things that could be taken care of early on and could be done in a very calm fashion. But why do that? I'm an addict, hello. Leave it to the last minute and then have a bunch of drama around it. That's much more fun, you know? So I think there may be a little bit of my addiction to drama in there and just, you know, it's very exciting to be doing your taxes at the last minute and you just barely file them before midnight. That's so much more exciting than like, oh, I did them back in January, like normal.
0: (laughs) Boring. <laughs>
1: Boring. There's no intensity around that. I don't know if any of people listening have that in common with me, but I know a lot of alcoholics and addicts have that sort of addiction to intensity and I think sometimes I create that intensity um you know in a sub some subconsciously, not even realizing I'm doing it, but it's just it's an operating system. It's like always being on, nah, you know, high alert kind of crazy hectic um, because I do, I do that regularly. That's definitely a habit of mine that persists, that procrastination.
0: Well, yeah, I think it's true in many ways that, you know, nothing can make us feel more alive than a crisis, yes. right? And so it's, uh, we can get to where we're, we're create crises out of habit. Yes. You know, we can do it in, you know, quietly internally, like yeah. you're saying, I didn't get around to doing the taxes or. Of course, we can do it loudly with other people Yeah, as well. I'm wired a little bit different. I mean, well, let me say this. So that kind of thing for me would always show up internally, you know, as an introvert and and historically, believe it or not, a very quiet person. I say more in one episode of this show than in a month of my (laughs) life uh, normally in the past. Uh, but another so another way that apathy showed up for me and it's related to the other one is that I have a strong need to to simply keep things the way they are like don't no change i don't want anything to change mm. if i get things the way that i like them i want them to stay that way yes. and my my whole mo in life my whole goal was to um the best words that i have for it are or to get you know to get to a place where i didn't have any entanglements well, what's an entanglement to me? Things like people talking to me um I have to be somewhere, you know yeah. people have expectations they they want my time or energy yeah. or whatever yeah. you know, so my whole motivation in life was to get to a place where um nobody was bugging me about anything uh why? Because I didn't have a lot of capacity internally for dealing with that kind of stuff, and it's to me it's a pretty easy to draw a line between that and an addiction because of course the substance helped relieve that pressure temporarily. And as we say, it works till it doesn't. And it worked for me for nearly 30 years and then till it didn't. didn't. Uh, So I I can see how this is all bound up together. You know, none of this that we ever talk about exists independently on its own, right? Everything's just woven into everything else. And even though, it's helpful to be able to point at this or at that as if it's a separate thing. Yeah, I don't think not. any of it's really separate at at no. the end of the day. But that was one. And I wanted everyone to leave me alone. Don't you know? Don't rock the boat. Nothing changed. You know, keep make my life easy.
1: That's so funny because you know, kind of an ongoing joke between the two of us is my extroversion versus your introversion. <laughs> and, right. you know, I actually do have a, sort of these subversive introverted traits. And so this is how it works for me. Like I want everybody to leave me alone because I don't want to deal with answering the emails and the texts. And I don't want, I like it when I have no place that I have to be no commitments, but then I'm lonely and pissed off because I have nothing to do and nobody's (laughs) calling me, you know? So it's like, it works both way. But you know, the other thing I was thinking about is, um, and this is sort of related to procrastination, but avoidance, generally avoiding things that are uncomfortable. Like you mentioned change, change is uncomfortable, um, things that, and, you know, and as addicts, I know myself, I have so many methods to avoid things by staying busy, staying distracted, you know, uh, just so many different ways of avoiding, um, Things that are painful, basically, things that are painful, not wanting to. I mean, that's how we got in this mess, right? We didn't want to feel the pain. Didn't want to feel the pain. So, yeah, that happens.
0: Well, now that we know about this challenge of apathy, what might the solution be? Well, as always, and as we always say in unity, we affirm that all of life is governed by spiritual principles.
1: Spiritual principles are, in part, ideas that guide our spiritual growth. But there's more to growing spiritually than just thinking. We have to actually act.
0: And Unity's fifth principle addresses this very point. It reads, it's not enough to know these truths, we must live them. And I always add to the end of that, to me, a clarifying statement. Live them through loving service to the world. And that's what we want to focus on today. But what does it mean to live these principles? What does it mean to put these sort of can-be-abstract-feeling spiritual principles into action? And it, and if this means to practice loving service to the world, what exactly does that look like? Michelle, what do you think?
1: Okay, so... Um, I love these uh, cliches, these sayings we have in the 12-step recovery program. And one of them that I particularly like is suit up and show up. And there's so much to that. And so suiting up and showing up is a really big part of life in general. At least it is for me. There's days when I'd rather not suit up or show up. You know, there's days that I'd rather just stay in bed and read a book and not have to deal with any of it. Um, but the recovery journey for me has, you know, and spiritual growth in general has been a matter of suiting up and showing up. So what that means is, oh, and it's not always true, but as much as possible, I get myself to that meeting, even when I don't want to go because it's Wednesday night and Wednesday night is my meeting. So there I am. I mean, if I only went to meetings when I felt like going to meetings,
0: <laughs> Yeah. Really.
1: And I almost always end up having a great time and getting a lot from it, but there's that you know that uh, inertia that um, we're talking about that gets us. Um, it means getting up on Sunday. Well, of course, now I'm the minister, but before, getting up on Sunday and going to church oh that reminds me of this joke that i saw where the husband you know the woman is in the bathroom saying i don't want to go to church today don't make me go and the husband's outside the bathroom door saying but you're the minister honey
0: (laughs) (laughs) i like that one.
1: but you know back in the day getting up and going to church on sunday even when i would rather sleep in because i knew it was good for me i knew i would ultimately um you know take a lot of advantage from it but i so just doing those things that I know are good for me, even when I don't feel like doing them again, if I only did them when I felt like doing them, I probably wouldn't do them very much. So there's just a suiting up and showing up a commitment to being engaged in the recovery process, engaged in my own spiritual growth. Um, Just, you know, not checking out basically. And it doesn't mean that we have to do everything. That's a whole other matter of learning to balance what we do and don't do. But, um, generally staying engaged
0: you know i like that yeah for me one way that effective action can show up is is in the mundane you know almost the opposite of not getting the oil changed when the oil light comes on so effective action can simply be a matter of taking care of business you know Getting the oil changed when the light comes on—not that second, but at the first opportunity, not the last possible minute. You know, it's a—it's just looking at things uh, sort of opposite. And I might ask, well, you know, what is a reasonable time to do this? So you know, it's Monday morning, the oil light comes on. I have a very busy day. I'm very busy tomorrow. That's fine. I don't have to try and cram it into today or tomorrow, but you know, let me, can I get it done in the next week? You know, that's, would seem like a reasonable, um, solution. Of course, this is the guy that, you know, if I ask, well, so what's a reasonable number of cookies for me to eat after dinner, (laughs) a three. Okay. I'll have five. And in fact, I'll, I'll have five twice. That's my response. Being reasonable is so boring. I'm not exactly an expert in discerning the reasonable time or way to do things. But, (laughs) of course, uh, with practice, all of this gets better. Uh, I'm joking but not joking. I I will eat that many cookies, but I can still get my oil changed as well. So effective action can be as simple as just taking care of business. All the little things, you know, as they come up. Get, you know, wash the dishes in the sink instead of let them go to tomorrow. It can be a whole series of little tiny things that really actually don't take that much effort, but they pay back a lot in peace of mind
1: okay, so don't come over to my house and look in my sink or go and look inside my (laughs) car because I think the engine light is not actually on, but it is way overdue for a servicing. Um, Life gets overwhelming and sometimes there's frankly just too much to be done, but you're absolutely right. And again, it comes back to that, um, you know, telling on myself and busting myself that there's probably some method to my madness in leaving things to the last minute I get to have all the drama and craziness and, Um, all of that. So that's part of it. But you're right. Things that are done, um, you know, in time can save us a lot of problems later. And maybe sometimes I do just create a lot of problems for myself. I know sometimes I absolutely do create problems for myself by not taking care of things um, at the beginning when they would have been simple and then they turn into something really big. So that's a constant reminder for me. But, um, you know, there are so many Options for activities and actions and things for us to take in part, take part in, in our recovery and in our spiritual growth. And so, a big part of taking effective action means discerning which ones of those I want to do and which ones I don't. And balancing all of that with. Well, with a lot of balance in general, balance is a really big um, thing for me in my life that I try very hard to have balance Um, and balancing doing stuff with plenty of time of not doing stuff, which I also call (laughs) self-care. So it's not helpful for me to be out doing all kinds of action if I'm not caring for myself and I'm not healthy Um, And well, emotionally, physically and spiritually, you know, and I cannot be of any benefit to anyone else if I'm not, you know, it's like that putting your own oxygen mask on first. And it really is true. You know, I'm a mother. Uh, There's a certain level at which I have to stay sane and take care of myself so that I can be an effective mother to my child. If I let myself get run ragged, you know, then I'm not going to be a very good mother. And that goes, you know, as well as a minister, as a friend, as a partner, anything, you know, that self-care is really uh, very important and having balance in our life. You know, we cannot do recovery 24-7. There's got to be times of break, breaks, and for me, uh, playing, playing is really important. You know, I have to have time of, you know, reading for pleasure, um, doing things that I think are fun. Now, the things I think are fun may not be the things you think are fun, but you know, things that I enjoy. Um, it's really important because when I do those things and I take care of myself and I get those breaks, then the actions that I do take are more effective. So we have that addictive nature where we want to do everything. And um, I found for myself that that's not taking effective action.
0: Yeah, effective action I'm hearing is balanced action or action yes. balanced with other things. I, okay. I agree that's a critical piece of it. Um, One way I uh, look at effective action is sort of asking or, or thinking back to what effective action is not and for me one thing that effective action is not motivated by fear you yes. know or by selfishness say effective action um is you know we talk about do the next right thing so effective action i can see that as doing the next right thing yeah. and the right part of the right thing is not just you know reacting in in anger or fear or you know out of a selfish desire or anything like that, and so by being able to look at it in in that way, well, what is what is effective action not look like? It can help me to understand more of what affection act uh, of what effective action does look like. Yeah. Um, like for example, uh, it looks like not digging the hole any deeper, right? <laughs> Have you heard? Have you heard that old <laughs> adage? If you find yourself at the bottom of a hole, quit digging. At yeah. least quit digging. You know, yeah. you'll still be in the hole, but it won't be getting any deeper than deep that. Deep. And it sounds uh, odd, maybe even silly, to look at it in this backwards way. But I'm in in my experience, it's it looking at it that way has helped me to assess what is going on here. You know, is this the next right thing to do, or is this sort of feeling more like unhealthy. That's another word I might use. If it's not effective action, maybe it's unhealthy kind of action. And so that's been helpful, looking at what it's not. Not motivated by fear or selfishness, not digging Mm -hmm. the hole any deeper.
1: Yeah. You know, I really, some of these sayings that we have are just brilliant um, and maybe get underestimated. I think that whole thing of doing the next right thing, that is just brilliant. Because... There are so many times in life when, my gosh, there's just so much going on and we're trying to figure out, you know, what to do and that doing the next right thing, it really just breaks it down and it comes back to our general philosophy of life, which is one day at a time, right? So this is taking it one next thing at a time. You know, I don't need to be out there figuring out the whole picture or the whole way the entire thing is going to unfold. I just need to do the next indicated thing in front of me. Um, I find that it's a very effective way to live. Now, I don't always do it perfectly, but, you know, the longer we um, get our butts in the chairs uh, in those rooms, uh, the more we learn to live this way as our default setting, You know, and that's been true for me. And so when things are crazy, it's really break it down to brass tacks and keep it simple. What's the next thing? Because after I do that next thing, then the next thing becomes apparent. And when I do that next thing, then the next thing. And I didn't need to know the third, fourth, fifth step back at the beginning. Um, And so how do we do the next right thing? Well, for me, it usually begins in some sort of taking some sort of third step around it. So turning whatever the thing is over to the God of my understanding, that's that release step, letting go my own um, tight grip of wanting to control it and control the outcome, turning it over and then seeking guidance, you know, asking God, spirit, universe, love, divine mind, source, whatever you want to call it to guide me to that next right step. Now, I don't usually get a billboard from God saying, do this, Michelle. Um, But there's kind of, the longer I stay sober and um, the more I develop my spirituality, the more I get these intuitive, you know, like an intuitive hit or an intuitive knowing about what the next right thing is to do. And, um, you know, as we start doing that next right thing, sometimes it becomes even more Um, apparent whether it is the right thing to be doing or not but it's basically just staying in now and just do what's right in front of me and not get way out there in the future yeah
0: the simple thing i love that just a chain of next right things well let's hold that thought because it is time for a short break and when we come back we will continue this conversation and please stay with us Practical Spirituality Positive Messages This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. Welcome back indeed, and we are glad you're with us today. If you're just joining us, my name is Rev. Dan Beckett, and I'm here with co-host Rev. Michelle Jelinch. We will resume our discussion in a moment, but first we want to remind you that you can send us your questions and feedback anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Message us from there, and each week we'll respond during the show to a listener question or comment, and be assured that your anonymity will always be respected, so please let us know what's on your mind.
1: So prior to the break, we were discussing first that apathy, that sort of inertia in action, not knowing what to do. And then we talked about um, a little bit about what effective action um, is and what that feels like. So, Dan... Knowing that our tendency is towards apathy and the solution is taking effective action, tell us a little bit about how taking effective action has led you to a more vibrant life.
0: You know, sometimes it's just as simple as not digging the hole any deeper. (laughs) You know, it's not as so much a doing as a stop doing. Or as we talked about uh, with that simple but wonderful guiding phrase, do the next right thing, it just means, you know, pause a moment and maybe have some courage and do a different thing than before. So for me, when I think about how uh, effective action can create what I think of as a vibrant life, that I'm living a vibrant life, uh, what is a vibrant life? Well, it has variety in it. And you yes. know, before recovery, I seem to be on a mission to um, simplify and pare everything down, and like I said, not not be subject to entanglements like people talking to me and having to be places at certain times and stuff like that. So the opposite of that is to have some variety. And again, of course, uh, we could tie everything back to the principle of balance, and this is one of them. You know, variety has at its very core the concept of balance. So a vibrant life is a life that has some variety to it. It's not the same thing over and over. And so just by taking different action, I mean, I could define what's, what's the difference between effective action and ineffective? Well, the outcome, right? So if I just take different actions, that they're on its own might be enough to create some variety and variety is a important part of what I would call a vibrant life.
1: They might even say it's the spice of life. I've heard I've that. I've heard that somewhere. <laughs> I love that you started out by defining what a vibrant life is, because that's what we're aiming towards. You know, what is it that we are trying to create? Ultimately, we didn't get sober to be miserable. I love it when people say that, you know, I didn't get sober to be miserable. Darn it, I got sober to be happy, joyous, and free. That's right. So what does that look like? What is the life I want to create for myself? You know, when I, in early recovery, i f- well, first of all, there's there was the whole thing about how am I ever going to have fun without alcohol? You know, this is going to be so boring um, that I had to start finding new ways to have fun. And that, that coupled with the fact that I had all this freed up energy that wasn't spent, you know, trying to – determine which kind of alcohol I was going to drink that night and where I was going to drink it and with whom (laughs) I was going to drink it and how I was going to get home and what I was going to do with my car. And, you know, I had all this freed up energy and um, coupled with the need to have fun in recovery and in sobriety. And I had this sort of like renaissance period where I um, started doing things that I'd never done before. I started taking up new hobbies. Like I learned to rollerblade, and then in good addict fashion, I had to do it to the extreme and go and get the, like, $300 rollerblades and do it for, like, six hours a day. But, you know, that's just how.
0: Hey, I man, I beat drinking.
1: Then. Yeah, sure does. But, you know, I, I I started finding new things that I enjoyed doing um, because I wasn't spending so much of my time, you know, well, basically my life was curated around the drinking experience. So if it didn't involve drinking, I didn't want to do it. So I didn't spend a lot of time pursuing, um, hobbies that were not directly connected to alcohol basically. So I started learning all these new things and just having a lot of fun and, and reading about different things that I'd never read before. And, you know, I just, it it felt like a Renaissance and it felt like, you know, like you were talking about the variety of life, just this smorgasbord of things that were available to me now that I had all this freed up time and energy. And, um, that's just, that to me is a vibrant life, you know, and I don't always have the energy to do it on that level, but, um, you know, there was a whole, uh, a shift that happened in me from living a very fearful, closed life, Um, not doing things because I was afraid to living a more expansive life. What felt expansive to me, open, um, you know, trying new things, getting out there and doing things that I would never have done before. That's a vibrant life
0: to me. I like that. Another aspect of a vibrant life that comes to mind is the life that has challenge in it as well. So not a, uh, you know, not uh, on a mission to make everything as easy as possible, but rather to be open to possibilities, you know, to doing things that are a little bit intimidating or, yes. um, you know, take, take some real effort to accomplish rather than trying to sort of minimize um, all of life's demands so that I could accomplish my main goal of uh, everyone leaving me alone. You know, and doing nothing. Which might be very foreign to you. I understand that. But um so a vibrant life has challenge in it. It's not oriented towards making everything as easy as possible. It it says yes to, you know, do you want to go kayaking on the river or um, you know, go to this other town to this restaurant we haven't been to, or go see this person in in a concert or whatever. You know, instead of thinking kind of like Kind of like you were saying, this is involved drinking. Then now I must stay home. Yeah, you know, I I did all my drinking at home, so no, staying home was my default. But having some challenges in life um, is part of what makes it vibrant for me. And I find that, um, and maybe kind of like you were saying, I I I just as I listened to you, I really got this feeling about how when we when we make the decision. Uh, to lead a sober life, we have to come up with some different things to do, yes, right, because all the time and not just the time, the time and the money and the energy that went into um the addiction, the planning around the addiction, the you know recovery time from um taking part in the addiction, well all of that stuff takes so much time and energy, and when we make the decision to walk away from that at least in my experience, I had all this time and energy, yep. you know, and That's even really some true. more money, you know, I'm embarrassed how much literally no, yeah. it was costing me per month. I was drinking a tremendous amount of dollars, um, every month. And so, yeah, the, there's the door opens to new possibilities. It's almost like yes. an in, it's an inbuilt dynamic. I choose to get sober and all of a sudden I have all this energy, that's um, you know bursting, it seems, and, and what do I do? Well, I have the capacity now to undertake new things. It can be recovery things like, I'm feeling really anxious, so I'm going to call my recovery friend or my sponsor or whatever. Just, I'm just going to tell them, here's what's going on with me right now. Because I know they're not going to try and fix me. They're not going to criticize me. They're just gonna hear what I'm saying and saying, Oh man, yeah, I know that feeling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hang in there. It gets better, which is all I really need to hear at that time.
1: Yeah, it reminds me of that line in the big book that says something about we insist on enjoying life. And it's like, yeah, you know, like like I say over and over, we we got sober to enjoy life and live a live a happy, vibrant Life, living joyous and free. So that's what we want to do. Um, You know, I didn't even realize the ways that alcohol was taking up my time and energy in the ways that it was limiting me. Uh, When I first started attending church, which I was so fortunate to find unity early in my sobriety. And um, I started going to church at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings. And every week when I would show up, I would be like, look at me. I'm here at freaking 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning because I was used to being hungover on Sunday mornings. Oh, yeah. And definitely not getting out of bed until at least 11 or 12. And I sure as heck was not suited up and showed up at 10 a.m. So that was a revelation for me that I could even be up and out that early on a Sunday morning. But again, that suiting up and showing up is such a big part of it because um, there were. There were things that were wonderful and fun, but there were things that I didn't really feel like doing, but I did them anyway, and I knew they were good for me, and that probably doesn't sound terribly appealing to people in early sobriety. Oh, you got to do all these things you don't want to do, and do them anyway, but what I found is that I was pretty much making them into something much worse in my mind than they actually were. You know, it's like, oh, I don't want to do this thing, but then when I would you know, get up and get to the meeting, I would end up having a blast, or I would meet somebody new, I would make a new connection, or I would learn something really cool, or, you know, dragging myself out of bed on Sunday morning, but then I would love church, and it would be so engaging and moving, and so it usually, when I do suit up and show up, it ends up being quite a bit of fun, and if it's not total fun. It's almost always good for me and expands me in some way. And I'm glad I did it. So, but it's that just doing it, you know, taking that next effective action, not just staying home and watching TV, but taking an effective action, getting up and out and doing it.
0: Yeah. And not having life be like a battle, you know, it felt like a battle in in many ways, Um, before I got into recovery and in some ways, the early recovery, I mean, that just doesn't disappear overnight, but I have found that it evolves and, um, thinking about what, what is a vibrant life? And I'm, I'm using the word vibrant in a very broad sense. Like what is a good life? Maybe that's what I keep thinking. What does a good life mean? Well, for me, part of a good life is a simple life, you know, where, um, and, and by simple, I don't mean boring. I mean, I, I can do, I can have like five main things that I do in the world and be completely and totally engaged and learning and connected and, um, you know, all of the above. I remember early in recovery being in a meeting and hearing a guy share that uh, something like, well, I got food in the fridge and gas in the car and my license plate's not expired. So I'm doing pretty well. And I, <laughs> I, and I was thinking, this is a good life. I mean, what, what 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 is wrong with you if that's your definition of everything is okay? But that was pretty early in my sobriety where I needed like accomplishment and activity. And I want to make more money and I want a bigger house. All that kind of stuff was still sort of floating around. And after a while, I realized the wisdom in that is that that guy didn't need all that distraction and busyness and external affirmation. And he didn't need any of that stuff. He truly was happy knowing that all is well. And the way that he happened to express it in that moment was I got food in the fridge, gas in the car, my license plate's not expired. No, all is well in my life. His life was absolutely not boring. It was balanced and fulfilling and meaningful and stable. And he was helpful in the world and all, but you know, that early in recovery, I didn't see all of that. I had to stick around for a while before I could begin to see um, the upside in living what I consider to be a simple life. Now I've had other people look at my life and they're like, wow, you know, how can you do all those things? You must be like busy all the time. Well, I'm not busy all the time. I have plenty of downtime and maybe it's just that from the outside because it's a wide variety of things that i do that it seems you know like uh, i'm overrun with activity and my plate is too full i don't know why it looks that way from the outside and it's true that when i'm doing any one thing i'm all in right i'm not halfway right. in when i am uh at church and i'm doing church i am 100% present and committed, I'm all in to the church experience. And the same is true with any of the things that I do. And, and But by having a variety of them, having some balance in life, which includes plenty of downtime, I get plenty of sleep, I got lots of time where there's nothing I need to do, I can cross things off my list and look at an entire evening of whatever I feel like doing at the same time that I'm doing this in the business and this thing and this and this and this, and And it just all works out because I'm living by spiritual principles and I'm living a sober life. It's, it's wonderful.
1: Yeah, and you know what that balance of doing versus non-doing looks like is going to be a little different for each one of us, and it may change over time. I know I do less now than I did twenty years ago. That's for darn sure. <laughs> you know, but it's it's about it being a balance, and um, I love those times when there's nothing that needs to be done. I love that downtime. But I didn't love it before recovery. I did not love it. I did not want to spend. A downtime day with myself at home, you know. I was I was running from myself. I was keeping myself busy doing stuff all the time so that I didn't have to be alone with myself doing nothing because I was not I was not comfortable in my own skin, as we like to say. Um, and I think that that is probably a common experience. Um, I did a lot of. Uh, staying busy, workaholism, you know, just, and there's plenty, you can, if you need stuff to do, you can always find stuff to do. And I kept myself really busy because I was not comfortable with the downtime. And that has really changed for me over time. Um, And I really enjoy now, you know, and I still have to work at building in time that I'm not being quote unquote productive, you know, and giving myself permission to rest, permission to rest, permission to just be. Um, And so that, that has really shifted in my life. Um, You know, what is a vibrant life? For me today, a vibrant life is a sober life. And I'm telling you, if you're early in recovery, a sober life is a good life. It just is. It didn't seem like it was going to be, it seemed Mm -hmm. like it was going to be boring, but it's such a good life. It's such a good, rich life. You know, I remember early in recovery, just overflowing with joy because I didn't have to spend a good part of Sunday wondering what I did the night before Mm. or wondering if I said something stupid to someone or did I embarrass myself or did I, you know, just, ugh, you know, having that awareness, um, being sober, being in my right mind, being aware and alert. It's intense, but it's a beautiful, vibrant life. I highly recommend it. Um, and in terms of, you know, figuring out what to do, taking that effective action, my experience has been that if I stay engaged, stay involved in recovery, stay involved in my spiritual growth, I like to say the curriculum will be handed to me. The curriculum will be rolled out. You know, the universe just keeps putting it one thing after another in front of me. I've never had to wonder, like, hmm, what should I work on now? <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's like the universe just keeps providing. Prev- presenting one opportunity for spiritual growth after another but that's when i stay engaged in the process um i've never had to wonder what to work on next or what issue was you know gonna come up it's just always been there um and it's a lifelong process you know it's for me it's been a lifelong process and so it's just staying engaged keep suiting up and showing up and life will give you the next thing to do. You won't have to wonder what it's going to be.
0: And it works, too. I mean, I totally agree. I would not trade my sobriety for all the money in the world. Mm-hmm. You could say, I'll give you a check right now for $10 million if you'll start drinking again. No way would I do that. And yeah. it did take a while you know, to get to that place. And it does take time. Yes. And what's so wild about it is that... You know, all of my perspectives early on, like so many of us have, it's like, oh, this is terrible. I can't believe I did this, you know, m- made myself into this alcoholic or whatever, you know, all the sort of down and out stuff. And now I can't do this. And now I have to do that. You know, yeah. all this kind of crap. Oh, my gosh. the it. My perspective changed yeah. remarkably. And all the things that looked like. Uh, a downer, right, became the most wonderful parts of my life. And it's one of those things that I had to experience it, to believe it. You know, I had to listen yeah. to those around me. And and they would say things like, don't quit before the miracle. I'm oh, like, yeah. what miracle? It's like, just don't quit and you'll yeah, find out what it's like. It's like, oh, now I know what that means. And yes. so, um, you know, it's almost like uh, it takes a lot of trust or, or, we might even say faith of course that um all these other people are did not all get together to conspire to lie to me no. about what li- a, a sober life is like they're telling the truth and it is yeah. awesome but it does take time to get there and yeah i would not trade it for all the money in the world so here's a specific example. I've talked somewhat about what, what in general does a vibrant life mean? Well, what is what is one specific way that effective action helps me build that? It can be as simple as kind of like you were saying, go to a meeting, right? It doesn't get much simpler than go to a meeting. If I, if I feel, I was told, if you feel like going to a meeting, then go to a meeting. If you don't feel like going, then go to two. Go to two. <laughs> yeah. You know? Because... Yes. Just the act of going to a meeting puts me in community with others and all kinds of opportunities open up that I never would have been aware of had I not just shown up. You know, before the show we were joking about, there was a, a woman in my first home group who was super helpful to me because she was very um outgoing and and very loud and happy and and laughing and had all the funniest phrases and she would say that if you just keep coming here and sit your butt down in a chair you will get this over time she referred to that process as osmosis just sit your butt in you a chair and you'll, that, you? <laughs> you will you will you will pick this up by osmosis and i thought that was the funniest thing i ever heard in my life and not only that it became true you know, yeah. over over the days and weeks and months, um, it became absolutely true. So an action as simple as just showing up at a meeting, whether I feel like it or not, opens up so many doors. And I always, always have walked out in such a different state of mind than when I walked in. Even if someone said, let's have a gratitude meeting. And I rolled my eyes along with everybody else. And then 10 minutes later, my whole consciousness had shifted because I showed up.
1: Yeah. And can you believe we thought this was going to be boring?
0: (laughs) No, I cannot believe that.
1: You know, I know we're talking about all different types of 12-step groups, but the one I'm most familiar with is AA. And I can only assume that other groups are very similar, that it's the greatest show on earth. It is the greatest show on earth. Where are you ever going to get such a cross section of human beings telling their stories but you know, now we've
0: got to pause and change gears because we're moving on to our next segment. Uh, I wasn't watching the time as my <laughs> jaw was flapping. Imagine that. Uh, we want to turn our attention to a question from our listeners. So here's something that often comes up. See what you think of this. So how do I know whether, how do I know whether the right thing to do is to take care of myself or to do something for others? Because I hear both. You know, I've got to do for others and I've got to take care of myself. Michelle, what do you think?
1: Well, I think the ability to discern that probably grows over time. We get more skilled at that, at determining, you know, it's a matter of discernment, right? And we get better at discerning what is ours to do. Um, Again, keeping in mind that balance, keeping in mind always the importance of self-care. Self-care is not selfish. Um, We are of no use to our fellow Addict or whatever. If we are not in good shape ourselves, um, and always, you know, seeking divine guidance, asking, is this is this for me to do? Is this the right thing for me to do? What should I do? And then um, waiting for the guidance. And if I don't get the guidance, then I just pick one, do it, and start paying attention to how it feels. Does this feel right? You know, there's no. I, I personally believe there's no wrong. Uh, decisions like that in life, if, you know, I pick this one, I do it, doesn't feel right, okay, I go and do this one. I mean, you just feel through things,
0: but always have divine guidance. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And that's what came to mind to me first, too. And that, of course, is a core principle for us in the unity movement, is we stress this presence of the spirit within that we can become quiet, you know, in 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 meditation, which just means paying attention to what's transpiring within me, and uh, seek guidance, or we might even just call it instinct, because right. we're looking to strike a balance. And like you said, we might not know what that feels like at first, and right. so I always pair. Checking guidance with, especially early in recovery, check with your trusted advisor. Yeah. Now that might be your program sponsor, it might be your your pastor, it might be a program friend, you know, a recovery okay. buddy who has more time. Whatever it is, so sort of check your guidance and then check in with another person who's not trying to fix you and see what happens.
1: Yeah. Excellent advice, and in terms of using that spiritual guidance and using prayer and meditation to discern that guidance, here's an affirmation you can use to help you put this into action I seek divine wisdom and I am guided to take effective action for my highest good.
0: I like that one too. I seek divine wisdom, a bold statement. I seek divine wisdom and I am guided to take effective action. For my highest good, we can simply discern what that means, like you said, by practice, you know, by practice, by reminding, by circling back to a simple statement like this. I affirm that I seek divine wisdom and I'm guided to take effective action. Well, it is time uh, for us to move along. It's happened again. You've given yourself the gift of another hour listening to Spirit of Recovery, and we are both so grateful that you did. We sincerely hope that you found something in all of our chin wagon that will be genuinely helpful to you in your recovery. I know I have wagged my chin a lot in the last hour. But thank you, uh, Michelle, for our discussion again, as always, and thanks to all who are listening to the podcast via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. We bless you wherever you are on your journey.
1: Listeners, you can always connect with us on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. And please give us your thoughts and feedback. And we invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. And until then, don't drink like my co-host.
0: And don't drink like my co-host.
1: Go ahead and have yourself a wonder-filled week.